Welcome to the Crosslands Church Podcast, our mission to help you experience the life with God you've been missing. And now, a message for you. If you're tracking closely with us, uh, last week in our announcements, we mentioned that we were having a new message series starting today. It was supposed to be Hebrews, the second part. We started Hebrews a, a few months ago, and we got to four chapters in, and we were supposed to be doing part two this week, and um, did a, a last-minute change, probably on, on Thursday. And part of it is, this is a message series I've been working on for a while, and um, it's a very serious issue, and circumstances uh, led me to pray about making the switch, bumping this one up first. It was this past week that uh, in London, Ontario, uh, a family was killed uh, intentionally by somebody who weaponized his car to crash into them. And there's something really wrong about that, you know, that, that somebody would be targeted for murder based on their religion or ethnicity or color of their skin or whatever. And that's not all. It's been less than two weeks since the revelation came out that uh, ground radar had revealed 215 bodies of children in a mass grave under a residential school in Kamloops. That's a school that uh, was less than an hour's drive from where I used to live in Merritt, British Columbia. What's concerning and surprising to me is that as much as there's been a furor and uproar about this, this is not news. It was in um, September 2019, the Globe and Mail published an article talking, listing the names or, or talking about a list of names of 2,800 children, First Nations children that have been killed or died in residential schools across Canada. And the report also said that there were at least another 1,600 children that had died whose names had not been recorded. That was September 2019. August 2018, CTV News reported that an RV park in Manitoba had been placed over a site where there were at least 50 children buried in the ground from a, a nearby residential school. This is stuff that we've known about. We've known about this and we've ignored it. It's a huge justice problem. And right now it's in the news. I wonder how long before it's not in the news. You know, it's been just over, t over a year, just over a year since George, George Floyd was killed, sparking riots around the world because of injustice. Justice is a primary human condition. I think of those residential schools, and when we lived in British Columbia, we had, uh, I, I knew far more people that were First Nations background than, than here. And uh, some of that, you know, kind of hits close to home because it impacted people that I knew. And um, I heard somebody argue this past, well, sure, but child mortality was a lot higher in the past, which is true, staggeringly high. I think at the beginning of 1900s, 50% um, of children didn't survive past the age of five. And yet, these were children that were forcibly taken from their parents. They suffered hard labor in some cases, malnourishment, which made them susceptible to disease. And the stories of abuse and atrocities are, they're mind-blowing. And in the, from the point of view of the parents, the kids just never came home. They were taken and just never came home. And it's a, it's a black mark on our country, it's a black mark on our history, to some extent it's a black mark on the church because these were Christian residential schools, Christian. And you think, what is the issue with justice? Why is this so difficult? At some point, when you hear these stories, it sparks an instinctual response 
whether it's compassion or outrage or anger or impatience, this is not right. What do we do about it? It's wrong, but it's not unique. This is going to be uh, probably a difficult message series, and um, I, I want to welcome conversations and questions. If you put it, uh, put it on the YouTube chat, they'll be forwarded to me. And if, if there's a question that maybe we can't answer today, whether because we, sometimes if a, text, if a message comes in, a comment comes in too late in the service, I don't even get it. Uh, or it's too big to answer. I'm going to take those questions and, and address, try to address them in the future messages over the next three, four, or five weeks. So please send them in. Uh, it's, I think it's important to not just to have me talk to you, but we have a conversation about this. There's a, a document called Preaching in Dark Times. It was published this year by uh, the theologian historian uh, Tom Wright from England. And he says this, you don't have to teach people that justice matters. Children in the playground say that's not fair without ever having studied moral philosophy. It's built in. We have a sense of right and wrong. Justice is a primary human concern and is one of the biggest questions of our culture today. Uh, earlier this year, we did a message series on identity called Who Am I? And the, the premise of it was that for, for decades, certainly years, maybe decades, the message of the church to our culture has been answering a question that's no longer being asked. Answering the question of, of guilt and forgiveness and, and heaven, where do I go? And people aren't asking those questions today anymore, but people are asking questions of identity. And so the message series on, an, on identity, who am I? One of the other big questions is the question of justice. How do we make things right? That's one of the biggest questions in our culture today, and that's why the response is so strong. What is justice? How do we achieve it? Tim Keller, until recently, was a pastor in a, a, quite a large church in Man Manhattan, New York. And uh, he says this. He says, Every, everyone's calling for justice. But I'm going to quote him here, so I want to read it so I get it right. He says, but seldom do those issuing the calls acknowledge that currently there are competing visions of justice, often at sharp variance, and that none of them have achieved anything like cultural consensus. Everyone's yelling about justice. Everyone's yelling about how to get there, but we don't agree about what it is and how to get there. These things are not going away, it's only getting worse. We've seen it manifested in the COVID crisis. All kinds of different opinions about what's right and wrong, and I don't just mean in terms of facts, I mean in terms of how to treat people. It's a big issue. What's the right course of action that is just? It's, it, there's, a, there's a movement now that's broiling and you, you may not have heard about it yet, but you will, and that's about justice in our education system. What are we teaching kids about how to make things right and what the definition of justice is? It's, it's really gathering steam. It's going to be a big deal. And so the premise of our identity series and the premise of this series is the same. Jesus offers better tools to us to answer these questions than our culture does. Jesus gives us better tools to answer the question of justice than our culture does. There's a book called... Um, Order the Phoenix. I don't know if you've heard of it. But in the book, there's a school called Hogwarts. And the headmaster of the school is removed from his position. And the most hated character in the entire Harry Potter series is not Voldemort. It's Dolores Umbridge. Everybody hates Dolores Umbridge because every one of us has had a Dolores Umbridge in our life. 
Dolores Ubrich takes control of the school and she starts implementing rules. Rules and rules and rules and rules and more and more rules to try to control the students that seem to be out of control. The um, kind of pathetic, laughable, but also somewhat threatening custodian, Filch, who's perpetually grumpy, he's constantly be given new rules to post on the wall. And there's so many that they start going up the wall. And there's one scene where, in the movie where he's tottering on top of a ladder to reach as high as he can because there's no more room for rules at eye level. And the rules are posted so high, the students can't even read it. Seems kind of funny. It's actually based in history. I don't know if you know this. There was a Roman emperor called Caligula. He was well known for being insane. And he would craft new laws in the Roman Empire and deliberately post them so high that people could read, couldn't read them so that he could accuse them of breaking a law they didn't know existed. Actually happened. And in some ways, this is what is happening in the pursuit of justice in our culture today. There are all kinds of expectations, all kinds of rules that are emerging, expectations of behavior, and they're changing so fast you can't keep up. You don't, you don't even know it's a rule. You don't even know people expected that to you until it's too late. You expressed an opinion 20 years ago, and all of a sudden, that now that's a wrong opinion, and people are trying to take other people down. It's even to the point where today's pursuit of justice is changing so quickly that some of yesterday's champions of freedom are being vilified, turned into villains for not keeping up. Here's a thought, and I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this one. But I wonder how long it's going to be before people start calling Martin Luther King Jr. a villain for not addressing racism the right way. Some of our solutions threaten to make the problems worse. Some of our solutions that are emerging in our culture are contradictory. They're paradoxes. Some of them avoid facts for the sake of agenda. And so I want to outline three problems that are happening in our culture in the pursuit of justice. The first one is, is a, a desire to tear down and eradicate existing traditions and institutions and assumptions and at some point, it's hard to fault that because some of our institutions have been inherently unjust. Unjust, not unjust. Some of our assumptions, some of our traditions have been unjust. And if you argue with that, you just have to point to a residential school in North America. Problem is when you tear everything down, you're left with nothing. Second problem is that much of our pursuit of justice is not just motivated by, but is also informed by feelings. I feel this is wrong, regardless of the data, regardless of the facts. And the third problem is that the, the goal is undefined. We want to reach a justice utopia. Well, what, does that, what does that look like? How, how do we know when we get there? I don't hear answers for that. We have to keep moving down this path but we don't know whether we get there. And it's so utopian at some point that it's impossible. Absolute equality is impossible. So in light of all these problems, in light of this pursuit, well-intentioned pursuit of justice that seems to be so destructive, my claim is that Jesus offers better tools to answer the question of justice. What is justice? 
Here's a, here's a tangent for you, okay? 1977, there was a man called uh, Christopher Bors, who's a philosopher of medicine, I believe he's still alive today. And he wrote in a, publish, uh, a publication called Philosophy of Science, he says, it's a traditional axiom of medicine that health is the absence of disease. What is disease? Anything that is inconsistent with health. Define health. Absence of disease. Define disease. Lack of health. It's a circular argument. I posed that question to my son, Graydon, who's uh, done a few years of uh, post-secondary education in, in medicine and research. Uh, and, and I said, Here, here's a problem. That's the, why the guy wrote that. He said, this is a problem. We don't know how to even define health. And Graydon said this. He says, Graydon, uh, something like this. Health is when the body functions optimally. Health is when the f body functions optimally. When it comes to a definition of justice, a lot of people would define justice as the absence of injustice. And they would define injustice as the absence of justice. But what is it? Is it when society functions optimally? What is that and how do you get there? In 2020, like dictionary.com, would say injustice is the quality or fact of being unjust. Well, that's circular. Dictionary also says that injustice is inequity, unequalness. There's a problem with that. If you're paying attention very closely, you can see that the very word equity is being redefined to mean something that it didn't used to mean. It's a violation of the rights of others, injustice which presumes that there are rights. We take for granted that we have rights. That's a fairly recent phenomenon, not just in Canada, but in culture or society as a whole. The idea of rights of the individual. Unjust or unfair action or treatment. Unfair is not the same as unequal. It's, it's really nebulous. Things were a lot clearer a long time ago. I, I looked up a dictionary definition from almost 200 years ago. Okay, 200 years ago. Justice is the virtue which consists in giving everyone what is his due. Which sounds great, unless what is your due is something you don't want. It's more specific. Uh, impartiality, equal distribution of right in expressing opinions. We want equality to mean equality of everything. The de definition of justice in 1828 was in expressing opinions, you're allowed to speak. Fair representation of facts, respecting merit or demerit. Uh, equity, again, that word is changing. And finally, this one we're not comfortable with at all, vindictive re retribution. You get your justice, you get what is your due. I find it funny that in the media, with uh, popular media, the word justice is almost always associated with vengeance. With images like the Marvel character, the, the Punisher. He's out for justice. He's out to get vengeance, revenge. You can see it at sort of the, the more common, lower resolution expressions of our stories, you know, like Marvel movies and professional wrestling. Justice is getting revenge. It's, it's basic. I don't think it's complete. We know it. We don't know with our head, we know it with our heart. We feel it when there's something unjust. We feel when there's something wrong. Tom Wright, that same theologian historian, said that he wrote a book called Broken Signposts. And he says, our, our society, 
our, our very human existence carries with it certain qualities that point to God. And the very first one of them in his book was justice. The idea that we all have a sense of justice, it points to God, but it's a broken signpost because we don't know how to do it. In our pursuit of justice, sometimes we make more injustice. The idea that there's something that's way beyond humanity that we want to aim for. What is that? Justice points to God. So the Christian story starts with God creating humanity. He creates us to love us. Some people will, will they'll oppose love and justice, right? There's a sense that God is the ultimate judge, and let's not forget that. So when I say that God loves everybody, oh yeah, God loves everybody, sure, but God is also just. So God is love and just, and those, those are two sort of characteristics that are held in tension. I don't believe that's correct at all. I believe God is love. God is love. Because he's love, because love is his primary characteristic, he has other characteristics that he is because he's love. So um, in, the, in Western culture, the size of our families in general has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller on average. But if you have more than one child, presumably you love both or all three or four or five or six or how many you have. You love them equally. I hope. So you have more than one child. And when one of the, your children is beating the other one overhead with a stick... In your love, hopefully, you respond with justice. As a parent, we execute justice because we love. We don't have justice and love as in opposition or intention. God is just because God loves. They're not in opposition. So when God looks at his human creation and he sees injustice, his motivation, because he loves humanity is to execute justice. God is just. The Hebrew word for justice, and we talked about the English word, the Hebrew word is, is mishpat. And it's a, it basically means the equitable treatment of all people. It's not that simple, because we're not going to go into it today, but justice in the Old Testament is almost always partnered with the word righteousness, making right. We're not going to get into that today. We're going to get into it over the next few weeks. But the, the, the verse that talks about that equality, when, when, when God brings the law, his expectations, his covenant requirements to his people, among that, in Leviticus 19.15, says this, Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. And us privileged, wealthy people, we love that. Treat everybody equally whether you're rich or poor. Problem is that in most cultures in the world, less so today, but in most cultures of the world, the, the rich are very outnumbered by the poor. In, in the culture in which that was written, very, very, very few people would, would be wealthy. Now, most of us today are wealthy today beyond the imagination of the richest people back then. So we have to, we have to contextualize that, and we will over the next few weeks. But because there's so few rich and so many poor, it was so easy 
to marginalize or take advantage of the poor. And so in a court of law, the expectation is you don't twist justice, you treat everybody fairly. That's a verse in the Old Testament. But there's also, throughout the Old Testament, the recognition of the need to to notice, to care for, and to treat appropriately the poor, the marginalized, the outsider. Remember, those people were in the majority. It's almost like the, the, the law was given to the rich people to make sure you take care of the poor people. At least 161 verses. One verse that says, make sure you treat everybody the same, rich or poor. 161 verses go beyond that to say, show mercy to the poor, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, even the foreigner that's part of you. Jeremiah 22, 3, here's one example. This is what the Lord says. When it says the Lord there, that's his actual name. It isn't a title there. This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not, treat, do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. The poor, the widow, the orphan, the outsider. There was no social security system. There's no welfare. If you're on your own, you're not working, you starve. That's just the way it was. And the responsibility to God's people is to take care of the people that have no care. I'm a little bit leery, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit leery of getting all of this out of the Old Testament because we're not Old Testament people. We're followers of Jesus. So at some point we have to recognize that the standards, the expectations of the Old Testament point to Jesus. And Jesus is the epitome of God's intent. And since justice is one of God's primary concerns, we have to look at Jesus for that, and we will. We're um, in the 21st century. We live in a completely different culture from the Bible times in a lot of ways. But it's important for us to figure out how this works and to understand God's character and God's purposes. We can be overwhelmed by the news, even to the point of numbness. Here's another injustice. Here's another issue, and I, I can't handle it. But we also experience injustice in our daily lives. Whether you're betrayed by a loved one, whether you're bypassed for a, mo- a promotion by somebody who doesn't deserve it, whether you're bullied online or in the schoolyard, or even just the simple unfair distribution of talents and abilities and charisma and looks and money. I'll tell you one story. This is a little bit it's personal. I'm not going to cry or anything like that because it's not that personal, but I remember complaining to Wade about it. I was driving into work one day, and I would very rarely listen to Life 103, and I was listening to Life 103, and they were interviewing a guy who was a musician. He'd recorded a bunch of stuff. He was touring and all that other stuff, and music resonates with me, and the reason I complained to Wade, because music resonates with Wade. For both of us, it's a very big part of our life. I'm not going to get all, you know, weepy and transparent, but I'll Neither Wade and I were, you know, picked first when they're picking sports teams. If if they were picking music teams, we might have been picked first. But athletics, I mean, you might not know that to look at a stunning physique. But athletics has never been a big part of my life. To put it simply, I sucked, okay? So music is it, though. So I'm listening to the interview with the guy, and the guy said this. I was really... um, I was never really interested in football in my life, or in music. I was interested in football. When I was in high school, I played football was my number one thing. And I was really good at it. And one day I realized I'm not quite good at it enough to, to make a career out of it. 
So I picked up a guitar, I started learning guitar, and now he's a full-time musician. I was like, oh, come on. That's not fair. That's not fair. How does one person get so much? It's the way it is. I don't, I don't know if that's unjust. It's the way it is. And, and each of us has our, our package of who we are. And God has made us that way. And the thing is that there's injustice in every part of life. We have, to, we have to address that. We have to engage with that. We have to look at God's way of dealing with that in our personal lives, in our society as a whole. And so there's some questions we're going to deal with today. Not today. We're going to, some questions we're going to deal with over the next few weeks because I don't want to keep you here till 5 o'clock. Here's some questions. What is God doing to bring about justice? What's his purpose? What has he done to bring about justice? Because there's some very solid answers to that. How are we to think about justice issues? As a follower of Jesus, what's my perspective? What's my understanding of what justice is? How do I respond to it? And then what's our responsibility as followers of Jesus in the 21st century in North America? We're surrounded by injustice issues in our own life. We're surrounded by injustice issues in our culture. What are we to do about that according to what God wants? not according to all the voices that are screaming for their agendas in our culture. Justice is one of God's primary concerns. And it's, at least at a basic level, our responsibility to figure out his approach to that. I have a text message that is a picture. Uh, oh, here's a, here's, a, here's a great comment came in on YouTube, I think. Martin Luther King was already accused of addressing racism in the wrong way. Before his death, polling found that he was one of the most hated men in America. I, I suspect that at the time he was hated by racists. Whereas today I think some of the accusations might come from people that would complain to be anti-racist. Just because of the way things are going. Time will tell. I might be wrong about that, about Martin Luther King Jr., about accusations like that, but I, I, hope, I hope I am wrong. Uh, but it has happened to other leaders in movements of uh, you know, feminism and uh, rights of all these other things that um, things are moving so fast, they, they, with everything they've accomplished, they, they end up on the wrong side of what people are trying to accomplish today. Thank you for that comment. God... He's a just God. And um, God's intention is to execute justice in love. And maybe uh, you're today, you're, you're here and you're, um, or you're watching online and, and you, your life is defined by injustice and you have no recourse because you, as a fo- you're, you're not following Jesus. You go, I don't, I don't even know what that is. I, I want justice, but I don't know what that means. I'm not part of God's family. I don't even, I don't know my role in, in being part of the justice movement, what God is doing in the world. I know we had somebody in our, uh, in our church, we have somebody in our church that as a young person was really involved in justice all the time, in all kinds of positive ways. And um, she was not a follower of Jesus. And over time, I believe she recognized that God's way of doing it was right. And she became, 
she gave her allegiance to Jesus, put her trust in Jesus, and now she, she has the same agenda, but she's doing it God's way. What a difference that makes. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to throw your life in with God's purpose for you and for the world. Give him your allegiance. He's got the right way to do it for you and for the world. And if you're not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to become one today. It's as simple as ABC. A is admit that you don't have what it takes on your own. Whether it comes down to addressing your own injustice issues or the, the ways of the world. In fact, we do so many things wrong in our life. We make things worse in our life. We may have the best intentions, but we still, we can't overcome our own natural tendency towards selfishness and self-destruction and, and the destruction of other people. We can't do it on our own. The A is to admit that. The B is to believe that God has the way for you. Jesus came to make that way available. We're going to flesh that out more in the next couple of weeks. But it's a, it's a trust in Jesus who would go to his death, the most unjust death that could ever be. The innocent killed for being innocent in the worst possible way. But that wasn't the end. He overcame death and went through to resurrection on the other side. And, and whether we fully understand that or not, the B is to believe, place trust in that. And the C is commit your life to him. Admit your wrongdoing, your inability to effect justice. B, trust Jesus' path for you that he made possible through his death and resurrection. And C, commit your life to him. Which means jumping in both feet and saying, yes, I'm going to do it your way. I'm giving you my life. And if that's a decision you want to make today, I'm going to invite you to, to pray with me, to make the words of this prayer your own. Pray something like this. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are a God who loves me. I thank you that you are a God who wants to make things right. And I've lived my life for my own. I want what's best, but I can't do it. So I'm trusting in Jesus today. I'm trusting in your purpose, your plan for me and for the world. And I'm choosing to commit myself to you today with my whole life. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Amen. And if this is a decision you're making today for the first time, I want to, um, I want to challenge you to connect with us. Um, the easiest, best way to do that is go to crosslands.live and click the follow Jesus button. And when you do that, we'll get your contact info and we'll connect with you for, to, to help you, to give you resources to walk with you on this whole new life. Because none of us can walk this alone. We're called to walk together as a family. And again, we're, I'm going to flesh that out in the next few weeks, why that matters when it comes to justice. Um, before we close the service today, I'm uh, just going to ask... Edna to come up. She has something to share with us this morning. I, as I was sitting here, um, I really felt that in the last part of your message that God wanted us to make a connection with the message from Cloud Dead 
or that he gave us through Claudette last week. Um, and he was telling me there's a lot of people who are making a connection right now. And he just wanted me to come here and tell you that you are right, that there is a connection. And I really felt that God is very proud of you and he's thanking you for taking the determination and the courage to change it serious into this. Because what I feel that God is doing is that we may feel that we have no power, that there is nothing we can do, but he's saying that he's giving us a strategy. And he's saying that you live in a specific street in this community and that you have the authority in his name, in Jesus' name, to cover your community from the power of evil that wants to destroy and reflect itself in any type of injustice throughout any generation. You are walking in the power of Jesus Christ and in prayer and wearing the armor of God, you can cover your street, your neighborhood and your neighbors. You can pray for them. And he was telling deeply in my heart and I know a lot of people know me, prayer is the answer to injustice because the only way we can make kingdom purposes come down is through the power of prayer and defeating the spiritual forces of evil that are unseen to us in prayer and in our knees. So he's saying, pick up the flag of prayer for your community today. Thank you, Edna, for sharing that. We do have serious issues that we face in our culture, and there's always been justice issues and injustice issues. But we can cave to all the voices in our culture that are screaming for the way to do it, or we can ask God, what is your way? Because justice is a primary human concern, but it's also one of God's primary concerns. God is concerned and we must get it right. So stick with us over the next few weeks as we um, really dig deep into this and um, it's, it'll be challenging. So, yeah, I'm gonna close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are a God who loves us and that you are not just want to make things right, but you are working to make things right. And so, Father, we want to do it your way. We know that there are things that hit us in our daily lives and issues that seem to be too big for us in our communities and in our country, in the world. But I know that you desire for us to partner with you to help make the world right. And that one day, when Jesus returns, you will make all things right. So Father, over the next few weeks, I ask that you would speak to us, that we would be challenged, we would grow, we would learn, we would be able to um, have clear to us the practical steps in the areas that you want us to address to make a difference in the world. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Crosslands Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or the Google Play Store so that it comes straight to your device. 
And to find out more about Crosslands Church, you can visit us at crosslands.ca. Join us next week for another message to help you experience the life with God you've been missing.